is always a fun one. Youth camp is always a fun camp, but it is an exhausting camp. And uh, so I know a lot of our campus students went to a counselor there, and they're coming in going, Whoo! All right. I don't know if I'm quite recovered yet, but hey man, I'm fired up and you guys are here. And let's give a round of applause for all the counselors, all those that served. I am very, very encouraged by them. And honestly, actually, I've been blown away this summer by all that God has done through the campus ministry. You know, the campus ministry uh, is about 100 campus students. And uh, really, this summer, we're about 50 because we have so many people going out and serving all around the world, literally all around the world. And serving, we have a, a team that just went out for about a month and a half to Seoul, Korea. Another one is from Pueblo, Mexico. And we've got about 15 of our students that are on these mission trips serving in that way. Then we have a whole group of our campus ministry students that are part of the teen ministry for the summer. And uh, that's one of them, Juan Velasco. Uh, and uh, so they're fired up. we got people all over L.A. serving in the, in the uh, part-time ministry as interns as well. So God is really doing a lot of very, very exciting things. Amen. You know, as we come into the sermon here, we're, we're speaking, I'm speaking on Obadiah. You know, you're going through your series, Major Lessons from the Minor Prophets. And really, just to be honest, with, with Obadiah, I, I have actually written about two lessons, three, three total lessons on this topic throughout this past week, trying to mull over what I wanted to share with the congregation from this passage. And, and the reason is because there, there's a lot of different difficult things shared in Obadiah. They're not really complicated to understand. It's pretty basic stuff, but it's challenging to the soul. It's challenging to the heart. And so I'm excited to be able to share these things with you today. But just understand, this has been kind of a crazy week for me, mulling over what God really wants me to share to the congregation. Amen? Let's say a word of prayer and then we'll get into it. Dear God, thank you for the opportunity to, to be here really come before you, worship you, sing praises to you, call out to you. Uh, just, I, I know for me in this past week and really this past year that I have never felt a need for you in such a great way as I have in this time. God, we need you so desperately. God, we pray that you, you would be with the things that are shared today. That you would be with this passage in Obadiah. God, you'd be with our hearts and we're attentive to what you want us to hear. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a show of hands. How many of you guys have read the book of Obadiah? Amen. About a fourth of you. Why don't you turn to Obadiah? Uh, and, you know, I'm going to talk here a little bit about some background because I know some of us, it's going to take a little while for us to figure out where Obadiah is. It's in the later part of the Old Testament. But, you know, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. They believe it was written around 850 or so B.C. And they... They believe it was written by Obadiah, but they also are not fully sure which Obadiah or, or who it is because Obadiah means worshiper of Yahweh or worshiper of God. So really, it could be kind of any prophet. You with me? But we believe it is Obadiah, and possibly it was the Obadiah that was around during the reign of Ahab, which was a pretty evil king in, in the history of the Israelites. You know, really what he's talking about and what he's addressing here is a battle and a fight between two groups of people. One group of people is the Israelites, which we all know that them pretty well. But another group is called the Edomites. The Edomites are not super well known, and the reason is because of what Obadiah 
prophesied about that they're going to get wiped off the planet. I mean, you talk about a prophecy being said about you. That is a discouraging prophecy. You with me? And so really the genealogy of this, you have, you know, Father Abraham and Sarah, they have a child, Isaac, and we know that story very well when he was called to sacrifice, to sacrifice Isaac. And then Isaac and Rebekah, they have some sons, and the names of their sons are Jacob and, and Esau. Now, Esau was not necessarily the brightest jewel in his bed. He was the first one, but he sold his birthright or his entire inheritance for a bowl of soup. We've preached many sermons on that that lesson of don't be stupid in selling all these important things in your life just for these momentary pleasures, right? And so, and something interesting about Esau too is he's, he's said to be redheaded. Now, if you know my children, uh, Amen. Enough said on that. My son's a redhead, and he is fiery to say the least. And uh, I'll share a little bit more about that later, but. Esau is said to be a redhead, and really the line of the Edomites comes from Esau, and the line of Israel comes from Jacob, the twelve tribes of Jacob. But what was going on is Israel, this is during the time when Israel had been taken over from Babylon, and Babylon was destroying uh, the Israelites, was putting them in captivity, and the Edomites, even though they were somewhat close from bloodline, were fired up that the Israelites were being destroyed. They were ecstatic because these were their sworn, long-lost enemies here that were being destroyed. And so they were so fired up. And we come into Obadiah when he's being re-prophesied from God about what's going to take place to the Edomites. In Obadiah verse 2, are we there yet? Have we found it in our scriptures? We got to the table of contents and figured out where it is. Amen. In Obadiah, I'll take chapter 1, but there's only one chapter. Verse 2, it says, See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the cleft of the rock and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, you say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grapes take the same to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your enemies will force you to the border. Your, your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect them. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors coming will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. That, that is a pretty intense passage. And as we continue on here at verse 10, we give a little bit of an understanding of why he's going to do this. In verse 10, God says to the Edomites, Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates, and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like, like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. 
should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survival in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Wow. You know, when I got this passage, I, I, I read this and I went, wow. This is an intense passage of Scripture here. Where God is saying, you know, because of the way you've decided to live your life, because of the way you've chosen to treat me as your life, I will utterly destroy you. Even when he says earlier on, right, he says, you know, if, if someone were to rob you, wouldn't they leave a, a little bit there? If someone were to pick your grapes, I guess they were doing some grape picking there. But if they were to pick your grapes, wouldn't they leave a few grapes? He goes, not me. I'm going to completely annihilate you. I will destroy you in my time, in my day. Wow. What a passage. You know, in verse 15, it boils down. As God is saying, as you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your head. You know, that my first point, really what I feel like is a theme throughout this entire passage, is you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. You know, I believe this is a very challenging thing for us to understand and live out in today's day and age. You know, we live in a world where consequences are seen, but not really fully understood. The way you live your life, it matters unless you, you don't get caught. Then it doesn't really matter how you live your life. You know, my generation grew up with video games. And you'd be playing a video game, and at whatever point you didn't like what was going on, you could just reset the video game. Right? You'd go, man, that, I took a wrong turn. I got blown up. Okay, restart. And then you're right back where you were. And a lot of times we can come into our daily life going, yeah, I mean, the way I live my life, sure, it matters on some fronts, but there's always kind of a reset button. You know, we can go into our marriages and treat our spouse however we and decide to, you know, even, uh, even in this congregation, I, I know there's people that have had infidelity. And, and we, we can feel a sense of, you know what? I can do whatever I want. There's always a reset button. I, I can get myself out of this. No big deal. You know, in our finances, can I get an amen on that? We can just say, man, I, I really, I've got a lot of issues. I just need another loan. You know, it's, it's amazing. I used to talk to students today in the campus ministry, and the amount of loan forgiveness programs that they are astute to, and that they feel like, man, this is how I'm going to not have to pay any debt. They usually don't read the fine print that's involved in it, and there's a lot of that. But we can kind of do that with our, with our finances, that, you know what, it doesn't really matter how I handle my parents' finances. There's always a kind of get out of jail Card. There's a way to be able to get past it. You know, with me and my grades, I went to UCI, and uh, I, I was a psychology and social behavior major. And, you know, this is even true, that you don't really reap what you accrue, you sow in ways at times. I, I would walk in, I took the same classes. I'd get a lower grade, and I would walk into the office hours to the teacher, and I'd have a conversation with him, and I'd just go, you know, man, that test was really hard. 
say, yeah, I saw that. You got like a war on effect with laughter. And I go, I know. Can you believe it? I mean, what was that about? What can be done about this? And that was a key question. Famous news today is being true. But, you know, this is a key question. I'm going out there. What can be done about this? Ten times they raised my grade. And they would say, okay, well, I, what, what about if I, if I did this for you? What if I, what if I gave you a B minus instead of an A? Ten times. But we live in a culture that expects this. We, we understand the concepts of, of what, you, what you sow, you're going to have to reap, but we don't really live it out fully. We feel like there's concessions all along the way. We can choose to do what we want. We can choose to be addicted to pornography or, or get involved in different lifestyles and, and not really reap any of the consequences because right when we want to stop or it gets so hard, we're just going to press the reset button. We get involved in all kinds of things and think, yeah, good choice, no big deal, reset button. God's saying to the Edomites, there's no reset button. You've chosen to go about your lives in a certain way and there are repercussions for our lives. You know, in our families, I think there is a, is a thing that's going on in our country right now. Where I think as parents, and I'm a parent myself, I, I think that there's even, look at the youth ministry, the kingdom kids, we have phenomenal camps to convert our children. And there can be an expectation that if we're around the church, if there's this kind of a connection, this kind of osmosis of being around the congregation, you know, that we'll just, we'll get spiritual since we're there. And there can be a lack of ownership of even taking on our own kids' salvation. And my daughter, she's four years old. And uh, if this changed over, from the classes of just sing songs and play with toys, to now they're having Bible lessons. And so she comes, you know, and goes, how do you like class? She goes, Dad, you know, it's really fun. I love, I love it. But there's one part I don't like so much. And I said, what's that? So we, we sing, that's a lot of fun. Hey, my friends, that's a lot of fun. But the whole Bible thing, I, I'm not into that. And so there was a side of me, I, I got scared. I went, well, she's only four, but what am I doing wrong? You know, I, I, what's up? I started looking at my schedule, I started looking at my life. Our family devotional was sloppy at best. We weren't really investing in my daughter's spiritual well-being, albeit she's four years old. But we were missing the mark. And so we get this 52 devotional cards that she can choose from, and, and we can do it. So that, you know, last week we did red light, green light of obedience, and, and we were we were all in. She was in heaven. She loved the devotional. But I didn't take ownership for my own kids' walk with God. You know, it's not the church's fault. If our children are not going well spiritually, we've got to take ownership of where our families are at. We've got to take ownership of where our marriages are at. We've got to take ownership of where our finances are at. You know, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Paul says to the church, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You know, this is a passage we know very well, but do you actually believe it? 
Do you believe in a direct correlation between giving financially and spiritually being wealthy? I'm not preaching a prosperity doctrine, right? We don't believe that you give 10, you know, 10% and then you're a millionaire. That's not how it works biblically. But at the same time, there is an investment financially that shows where your heart is at spiritually and can create a wealth spiritually that's going to last forever. But many times, we come in and feel a sense of, I give what I can, I sow a little bit here. And then we reach certain things in our lives, we, we wonder what's happening, we wonder why things aren't going the way that we want them to go. But we don't really look at where are we at in our own giving, where are we at in our own investment in our family, in our own marriages. God is calling us to understand the very basic concept that we reap what we sow. That whenever we scatter out there, you're going to get back a repercussion. It could be amazing, or it could be a consequence of what you reap. But Obadiah is preaching a gospel. He's preaching a message from God that says, you will reap what you sow. You will reap the way that you're living your life. You know, do you actually believe this concept? Do you actually believe that where your purity is at right now is going to dictate your spiritual future? Do you actually believe that the way that you're financially giving to this church and to those in need that are poor is directly going to have an effect on what you're going to reap later on? Do you actually believe that the time investment that you put in your family and the spirituality of your children is going to have a direct correlation because many of us, we understand the concept, just like we do in our culture, but we don't actually live it out. God is calling Obadiah to really be a prophet to Nehemiah and to really all of us. He said, you will reap what you sow. I, I, told, I, I told you, this is a hot message. Are you awake out there? Amen. You know, the second thing I think he's trying to help us understand is do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. You know, in Galatians 6, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be wrong. A man reaps what he sows. And I think it's the deception that he's talking about to get us into the church. I think there are a few lies that we actually have bought into as a, as a disciple or as a Christian of Jesus Christ, and really even as a church, that I think has steered us away from reaping and sowing the things that we need to. You know, the first lie is grace means we won't really reap what we sow. That God's grace means that we are not going to reap the things that we sow in our lives. That you know what? That that's cool and all is true. But yeah, there's this guy named Jesus. And Jesus came along and Jesus made it all good. And so I can do basically whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And there's not going to be much repercussions for my life. I just pray, I connect, I, I repent, and then it will be okay. But you look throughout Scripture, that's never how it happens. You know, even with those that repent, there are repercussions. David sleeps with Bathsheba, murders Uriah, right? And he's praying and fasting for the son that he conceived of Bathsheba to live. And even though he repented, God still allowed that child to die. God still allowed, allowed devastation. 
temptation to go on in David's reign with Absalom because he was reaping what he sowed by the way he lived his life. I think God loved David. We know biblically he was a man after God's own heart. So he repented. But there were repercussions for the way he lived his life. Moses, right? He wanted to go in the promise and he was promised, right? This amazing land for his people. He strikes a rock in anger. God says,
It's amazing. I mean, there, there are about eight to ten times a day that we're punishing my son at any, any given day. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less than that. And it, it always is a surprise to me. How surprised he gets that I'm going to punish him. For those that have children, you, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, do not touch that. Do not touch that. You see the wheels turning, and then I touch it. And then he goes, okay, now it's time for a punishment. Pick him up. And he just like, like, you can tell at one and a half, there's a feeling of, you wouldn't. Are you serious? And, and, and then you're, you're, you're bringing him in the room to punish him, and he's just like, no, no, no. No, no, right? And then you punish him, and, and, and you pray about it, everything's okay. You put set him down, and the cycle just continues. And the shock that you would have the audacity to punish him for touching the coffee bar or whatever is staggering. We both kind of like that. You know, we do exactly what God tells us not to do. We do exactly what he tells us not to do. He says, this will cause you to have destruction in your life. You go, yeah, I don't know if I believe that. And then you get punished, you're like, oh, what happened? Why? Why did this happen to me? We believe the lie that God is going to do nothing in our lives. There's a truth in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God, God's not slow in handling us. He's not slow in dealing with us. But he does love you. you know, as a parent of my son, I really don't want him to touch the, the thing that I'm telling him not to. I'm rooting for him not to. I'm please don't do this. Please don't do this. And if he does it, there's a sweet little feeling in my heart of, oh, I'm tempted. Don't be tempted. I love you. This passage is saying the same thing, that this is the truth of the matter. It's not that he just doesn't do anything. It's that he loves you and really, really wants you to repent. He really wants you to get it. He really wants you to understand what he is trying to get you to see. He, he wants to be able to have an incredible relationship with you. If he doesn't want to just blow you up, but if we continue not seeing all the warning signs, not seeing the warnings that God's putting before us, we will be destroyed. And then the third lie is we have all the time in the world. We have all the time in the world. You know, in the last six months, this, this has become a, a, uh, an obvious lie of my own. You know, we're, we're coming up here to six months since my dad passed away. My dad and I would, would go praying a lot of times. I think I shared this with the congregation. We would pray in, in, in the cemetery. And we'd go praying in the cemetery, and this was a, a thing we'd do often. And we'd, we'd sometimes leave the tombstone 
of the different people that were that were laid to rest today. And it is shocking how few of them you would say that they lived full a full life. The majority of people do not live a full life. The majority of us were dying before our so-called time. Before you are dying of old age or whatever we say. And so you know, I remember walking with my dad. There was one time we were walking and we were, we were reading different things and, and, and he said, this guy died at 59. He said, really? I'm 54. He's like, We have all the time in the world that I can do pretty much whatever I want. And then, yeah, 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 I'll repent. Yeah, 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 I'll turn to God. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to figure it out. But it's just not the right time right now. Whether you're a disciple or not a disciple, we can feel that way. We can feel a confidence. You know, we live in America. The roads are, are, are just nice. Everything is, is utopia for pretty much anywhere else in the world. We live in a very sterile environment. You can get but any little thing, you can go to the corner of PBS and, and get medicine that people all around the world are dying because they don't have it most. You know, we just live in this world that I'm never going to die and be the female. And we can believe the lie that we've got as much time as we need. You know, it's interesting, uh, for the Christmas service that we had last year, I preached a lesson where I said, there's choosing hope, not fear. Choosing hope over fear. And I said in that lesson, I said, you know, some of you are going to die this year. It's a rule without a thousand. And 17 days later, my grandpa died. And then uh, about a month later, my dad. And I said it, not flippantly, but I didn't think it was going to be this morning. I didn't think it was going to affect me. I got a room of a thousand people. Somebody's got to die by now. If you are still breathing, you must be resurrected. Because you do not know. This isn't a fear, fire, and brimstone lesson. This is just from my own life. I didn't believe on January 21st I was going to wake up and hear that my dad was dying. That's not how I saw it going, and that's almost never how anybody sees themselves dying. Jesus said, he's going to come like a thief in the night. Only we can suspect. Are you right with God? Because if you're not, We must believe the truth that God can come at any time and rule us to raise his hand now. You with me? This last point is we must go wisely. As we finish out in Galatians 6, verses 8 and 9, Paul is saying to the church, Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know what Paul is saying is you have got to continue to sow a lot of seeds if you're going to reap the right harvest. And you've got to sow wisely if you're going to reap the kind of harvest that 
in our last year's time. We've got to take some inventory of how we're spending we got to take some inventory of, of how much time are we spending solely on things that are eternal. We want to take an inventory of how are we doing when it comes to our family and sowing seeds of salvation into our kids, into our spouses, into our marriages, into our relationships, into our co-workers. Are we sowing wisely this morning, church? You know, as the story goes on in Obadiah, Verses 16 through 21, it changes the tune a little bit. And basically it says, you're going to be utterly destroyed and Jacob's line, the Israelites, are, are going to be brought up and exalted. And you will be annihilated. 800 or so years later, Rome devastated the Edomites. Destroyed them. There was no remnant of them left. There's only a, a thought, if you go like on Google, of, this is where they were. We believe they were southeast of Israel. But there's nothing left of the Edomites. They reaped what they sowed. They sowed arrogance. They sowed pride. They rested on their laurels of feeling like they were okay. And God destroyed them. But he must listen to the lesson from all the diet. He must understand the basic concept that we have heard a million times over again. You will reap what you sow. We must actually believe that. We can't allow ourselves to be deceived, and we must sow wisely if we are going to make it to eternal life. Amen? Amen, church.